Okay. Now, last week we looked at the ultimate messenger. And we showed how from the onset, everything was building towards one big messenger. And we mentioned how the quality of the message, or should I say the importance of the message, is also determined by the quality of the person who gives out the message. And it's interesting that for this message, it wasn't angels that were chosen. It wasn't prophets that were chosen. God chose his son. And that son has chosen us now to spread this message to everybody. So last week we looked at the ultimate messenger. Today we are looking at the ultimate message. I'm telling you, your lives will never be the same after hearing this one. The ultimate message. Now, take me to Romans 1 verse 16. There is something the Apostle Paul says. And this is why we share the gospel with everybody. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power. It doesn't say it brings power. It doesn't say it gives power. It doesn't say it attracts power. It says it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. And it says for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Then we are told something else about it. Uh -huh. It says, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. In the gospel, the rightness of God is revealed. In the gospel, God's solution to humanity's issues is revealed. God's solution is in the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation. Notice that. It doesn't bring power. The Bible didn't say it gives power. It literally is power. So I'm not ashamed of it. Let me not get ahead of myself. Ultimate. The word ultimate, last week I realized they didn't define it. You find this. Some of you say, hey, ultimate. Father, I offer you my ultimate prayers. For this morning, you're sitting ultimate in your seat. I, I, I know what I'm talking about. When I was younger, I used to copy everything I hear people praying. So one day I told God that I rebuke him. I'm like, Father, I rebuke you. I rebuke you in Jesus' name. I was like seven, eight years old. I had no idea what it meant. And that day I was fasting after around 10 hours. Or some, at least I was trying. I was trying to be spiritual. Praise God. I can imagine the laughter that was in heaven that morning. One angel was probably about to come at me, and God said, no, 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 it's okay. He's, he doesn't know the meaning. <laughs> so the word ultimate means the best achievable of its kind. It's the best achievable. You can't think of anything better. It's the best achievable of its kind. Some similar words are very limits, peak, Pinnacle. I'm sure some people here will love this. Apex. <laughs> you find when you ask them, what school do you go to? They'll be saying, Lusaka Ultimate University. <laughs> okay. And my favorite is Epitome. I, I, I say this because I think I hear it at every wedding I go to. You know Sometimes the MCs think we've never attended weddings, so they usually crack the same jokes at every wedding, right? So usually when the lady is being introduced, they always say she's the epitome of beauty. I don't know, there's, there's a sentence they all love. 
And I'm just praying to God that we come up with one or two new ones. Hopefully, the men's conference has, has helped with such matters. Not so. There, there, are many, there are many important... And you know, it's interesting that next year, February the 14th, I think, is on a Saturday. I speak a mystery. <laughs> Praise God. I've noticed it's so quiet from the ladies. People, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. So Ultimate is the final one. How many of you remember those action movies that we used to watch? Where the starring of the movie will get beaten, beaten, and then the last fight, as he's about to be finished, he will start remembering. There'll be like a tune, do no, no, do no. And then he'll remember, and then the strength will just come out like, yeah, yeah. Or, or perhaps if you're like me and you used to watch wrestling, um, there's that guy who you all love. They'll keep beating him in all the fights, and then he'll reach the ultimate fight. And then just when it looks like he will lose, I don't know where the strength will come from. And before you know it, he's done something and you can't see him anymore. But, <laughs> but it's, it's the most important move. It's the most important piece of action. It's like in a football match, if you hit penalties and the final one that wins you, that's the most important one. People will forget the other four that scored. Everyone will say he won them the game. The ultimate message. It's the final message. We're not waiting for another one. We're not hoping for another one. We are not looking for a new one. There is something Jesus told the woman. He said, the one who drinks, I know we talk about thirsting, and there's a context, but there's another thirsting which Jesus talked about. He said, everyone who drinks of this well will thirst again. But the water that I give, he that drinks of it shall never thirst again. He said, there's some things you should never thirst for again. Should never thirst for acceptance again. Never thirst for identity again. As if you find it in it, the righteousness of God is already revealed. God's view of you is revealed in this message. Whose view will you, whose view matters? Let's not, let's get to it. I'm burning. So we're looking at the ultimate message. Last week, we looked at how Jesus was the ultimate messenger. And we are his ambassadors if we're delivering his message. And now, let's start from somewhere. John 1. Aha, in the beginning. Come on, without them showing it, let's go. In the beginning. The same. The same was with God. In the be Did someone say bilingual? So the same was with God in the beginning. I had through him. In him. How can you say that word? Yes, was in him was life. And that life was the light of men. Hey! Okay, let's go to verse 14. Let's say something about the word. So he was the word from the beginning. Stop singing one with God, the, the Lord most high in your head. So now, and the word became flesh. Hey. The word became a human being and dwelt and tabernacled. That, the tabernacle became real. The tabernacle was a man. He tabernacled among us. 
And this is John speaking and he said, we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. Uh-huh. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. John the Baptist said that the gentleman who's coming, he's preferred before me. In short, his message is a greater message. It's a higher message, for he was before me. It's a better message than repent or die. It's a better message than you're going to hell. It's a better one. It's a more preferred one than you brood of vipers. It's a more preferred one. It's a greater one. And let's look at what else it says. And out of his fullness we have all received grace for grace. Uh-huh. For the law was given through Moses. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. We're going to take time in these coming weeks to really look at what this means. So it means what came through Moses was the law. But what came through Jesus was grace and truth. And this is the ultimate message. It's grace and truth. It's the ultimate message. Praise God. And so let's look at something that Jesus said about himself. And then we'll go deep into the message. Interestingly, I'm not even taking long today. I hope. So help me God. Praise God. What did Jesus, who is the ultimate messenger, say about himself? Let's, let, let's get thinking a bit. Let's get biblical. I want us to see a prophecy in the book of Isaiah, chapter number 61. For those who are coming for their first time, I quote a lot of scriptures. In case you think you remember them with your head, I advise you, write them somewhere. If, you've got, if you don't have a book, write them on your phone, put it on flight mode. You know, I just put the phone away. You, you will take a photo of your neighbor's notes. <laughs> Not everyone is graced with the ability of self-control when it comes to their phone. So Isaiah chapter number 61. Okay. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. I want us to pay attention. Eh? Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Uh -huh. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Everybody say to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. What do you see next? There's a comma. So that's not the only assignment. And he goes on to say, and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort those who mourn. Now, don't you find that interesting? He doesn't just say he has come to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. It says also the day of vengeance for our God. Now, let's look at what Jesus said. This is Isaiah talking about Jesus, right? But let's look at what Jesus said. Uh, Luke chapter number 4, from verse 17. I can preach so many scriptures on this one. 
One of the things, the first thing I can tell you about this one is that you must know the scriptures. Let me tell you why. The Bible says he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Now, look at this. Jesus knew what was written to him. He knew what was written about him. And he immediately went to the place that was written about him. By this period, he had not even done any miracle. He had not done all that stuff. And yet, he knew what was written about him. And it's interesting that when you go to St. Luke's Gospel, chapter 7, let's not go there, you'll notice that John sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one or should we look for another? The Bible doesn't say he opened where it was written about him. The Bible says he turned and he started healing the sick, casting out devils and doing all that stuff, then, then said, go tell John what you saw. In short, you, can, you come to a place where it's from what is written to what you're doing. But it first starts with knowing what is written about you. Praise God. Now, he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, which we're from reading from. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Uh-huh. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. I can, I, can, I can do a sermon on being anointed on this one. Can I give you an example? If I'm to talk about being anointed with regards to this scripture, one thing that I can tell you is I find it interesting that for Jesus, he was not actually anointed with oil. In Acts 10, we are told he was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power. That shows you that the power is not in oil. Sometimes we can use it for symbolic purposes. But the biggest, the most important factor when it comes to the anointing is the presence of the Holy Spirit. So stop thinking you will become more anointed because you're trying out different oils. Okay. So it says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. We can do a series on all of them. Should we? Now, look at this. It says, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. I want you to remember Isaiah. Next verse. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. What did he say? And he began to say to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What other man spoke like that? Now, don't you find it interesting that he didn't finish quoting Isaiah? Because in Isaiah, it doesn't just say to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. There is a comma, and then it says, and the day of vengeance of our God. I truly believe that that one is for the second coming. Or he's coming again. He's coming again. Don't let, this, don't let this dispensation of grace pass you by. He's going to come back with a road. <laughs> when he comes back again, there'll be no repentance. There'll be no time for I'm sorry. He's coming on another assignment. And that assignment will separate, will separate the sheep from the goats. That assignment will be the one where you will say, cast that one away. There is another coming. 
And I can't wait, because even when it says the day of vengeance, it immediately says to come forward those who mourn, and you know those who it's talking about. Because there's a bride that will be crying out, come, Lord, come. How you respond to the first assignment will determine your place when it comes to the second. Because if this message you miss out on it, there is no other message for you. What did Moses say? Didn't he say, God will raise up a prophet like me, and him you should hear. And if a person does not hear him, what will be left for them? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord one more time. So this stuff that I'm preaching to you, this message that I'm giving you, I'll tell you one thing I would really hate. If one day we are standing before God, and then this very message which was supposed to bless you begins to condemn you and begins to say, hey, I was preached to them. I was preached to them. They just didn't listen. Let that not be your story. Don't be like that rich man in the Bible who in hell he was asking, please. Did you remember what the rich man said? He said, he said send Lazarus to go and preach to my brothers. And then Abraham said, they've got Moses and the prophets. And then the rich man said, no, no, no. If somebody is risen from the dead, maybe they will listen to him. And then Abraham said, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they wouldn't listen even if someone rose from the dead. That shows you that the same way you respond to this message is how you would respond if it was Jesus himself preaching. Someone would say that's not true. Well, Jesus was on earth preaching and they killed him. So don't take this message lightly. Tell your neighbor the ultimate message. Go back to Luke 4, verse 18. And so he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Now the other things he says to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty, that shows you that there is preaching and there is working. Have you noticed he said, if they don't believe my words, at least believe my works. So they are works, such as casting out devils. Those are works. Setting those who are oppressed free. Those are works. And Jesus said, if you believe me, what will happen? The works that I do, you shall do also. But for now, without much focus on the works, I want us to focus on the first part. It says he has sent me to preach the gospel. So Jesus first assignment was as a preacher. He preached something. There is something he was saying. There is a message he was proclaiming. The question is, what was his message? Is somebody following me? Jesus was a preacher. There is a message he preached. He didn't just go and lay hands on the sick and, and all that. He spent time preaching. And if you read the scriptures, the thing that he did the most was preaching and teaching and healing, and casting out devils. But in every place he went, he was preaching and teaching. He was preaching and teaching. His major assignment was first to preach. Even when he sent the disciples, didn't he say, preach the gospel? Then he said, cast out devils, raise the dead, and all that stuff. The works were supposed to follow the message. So Jesus was a preacher. And he had a message. So if he is the ultimate messenger, then his message is the ultimate message. 
So the question is, what is Jesus' message? How can we summarize it? What is the gospel according to Jesus? John 3. Is amazing grace. Okay. Let's not get tempted. John 3. Let's look at it from verse 1. And I want us to follow it closely like we've never read it before. So the Bible says there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. First thing I want us to get here is this. Many of us Zambians can really relate with Nicodemus. I'll tell you why. Nicodemus was a religious man. I want you to notice he was not talking to a drunkard. I want you to notice he was talking to a Pharisee. He was not just religious, he was respected. So this man was a religious man. And in a nation like ours, everyone has been brought up a Christian. You can go to the bar today, they're all Christians. I'm, I'm telling you, I know what I'm talking about. Everyone is a Christian in their heart. No, God knows who I am. Me and my dad, we know each other. <laughs> Everyone is a Christian. And later on, when we keep on looking at the message of grace, you realize that grace has an influence on your works. You can make the grace of God in vain. There is no way you can be sustaining a worldly lifestyle and claim you're living by grace. If you've been living a worldly lifestyle, I'm glad you've come to hear this message. Because it is the power of God unto holiness. It's the power of God unto righteousness. It's the power of God unto a, a, a holy life. I'll show you in one of the scriptures, you'll see how grace teaches. Because grace can teach you. Where is God? In 2009, I was on a bus and the Lord said, speaking to me, that's how I got saved. I've never backslidden. There are those statements people love. You know them, right? I'm sure you know them. I know I'm not where I'm supposed to be, but at least I'm not where I used to be. <laughs> Especially towards the end of the year. Then there'll be, I love the man, I'm becoming starter pack. Changing outfit and dress in February. The grace of God can keep you. That's why it was sent. What if a person has backslidden? It can restore you. But here's the thing. I want us to move away from just thinking of grace restoring you. I also want us to start focusing on the fact that he can keep you blameless. He can bring you back in alignment and then keep you in that same alignment. You may have messed up before, but he can keep you blameless. You don't have to mess up again. Let's look at the gospel according to Jesus. So he's speaking to Nicodemus, who was a religious man. And there could be somebody who's listening to me today, and you're not saved, you're just religious. You did well to come here. This message is for you. There could be somebody here today who is not saved at all. This message is for you. There could be somebody here today who's saved and is on fire. This message is for you. Praise God. Okay, let's keep going. Now, the Bible says this man came to Jesus by night. Now, one of the reasons why he came by night is because he didn't want to come during the day. He didn't want the other guys to see him. 
This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. I can teach on miracles using that one. How you know somebody who's sent from God is by the signs that they do. Somebody will say, by apostle, there are a lot of false prophets. Why are they false prophets? Because they're true ones. And you're not going to fight them with arguments. You have to have bigger power. Praise God. So it says, no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Then look at this. Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. There are people who've come to believe that being born again is a Pentecostal thing. It's not. I'm sure you know what I call it. It's Jesus' custom. He's the one who introduced the concept. He's the one who introduced this. It's his gospel. We're reading the gospel according to Jesus. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Uh-huh. Jesus answered, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Don't skip after this. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Somebody say the gospel according to Jesus. Uh, Deacon Michael, Deacon Swapi, come please. Stand. Let's face aside. Let's say this is the flesh, this is the spirit, this is the soul. It just goes whichever direction you decide. Now, when you're born, and father, you're born of the flesh, right? So you're born with properties of a human being. The capabilities of the human being, even the predominant sin of a human being. Because being a sinner is not what you do, it's who you are. Let me let that one sink. Someone doesn't become a sinner because they do bad things. They do bad things because they're a sinner. And so Jesus is saying, look, if we cut off the fruits, as long as the tree is the tree, they will just grow back. So what does he say? The same way flesh gives birth to flesh, and if you read Galatians 5, what does the Bible tell us? The works of the flesh are obvious. It even says, you know when it says they're obvious, that's Galatians 5, is it 19? It means... If someone is of the flesh, it's not difficult to tell. They're obvious. They're right there. Give me Galatians 5. They are so obvious. Number one, it's sexual immorality. Then there's debauchery. Then there's drunkenness. Come on, say, hey, hey, don't get drunk. I just drink. How do you think you'll get drunk one day? Everyone who's come to me with that argument has gotten drunk before. Now, it says, <laughs> like, why should you leave your Christian alive? Like, on the line. Like, before entering heaven, you have to do, like, a test, an alcohol test to see the level. <laughs> no, is this one fit enough today? So it says, the works of the flesh are obvious, they're evident, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, 
Uh -huh. Idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies. Uh -huh. they, if you read from the Amplified, one of them is party spirit. Envy, murders, drunkenness, reveries, and the like. And then Paul tells us something about the flesh. I warn you beforehand, as I told you in the past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's not possible. They will not go to heaven. But that's not his gospel. The gospel is, look, instead of me telling you to change the fruit, let's change the tree. So he says, the same way flesh gives birth to flesh, there is something that's only birthed by the spirit. He says, spirit gives birth to spirit. One of these days when I teach you on the fruit of the spirit, you realize that the Bible says, walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Meaning you receive a nature that's, that causes you to dominate the physical one. Somebody say glory. glory. So, that's why when you're born of the flesh, you're born for the first time. And that's why you find as people grow up, they all do the same things and they say they're unique. Everyone's just doing the same things. But then, Jesus tells Nicodemus that there's another birth. And because you've been born again, and he says, the first one, you are born of the flesh. When you are born of the flesh, you are not a child of God, you are a child of man. Oh, haven't you read in John 1 why it says to those who received him, those are the ones who gave the right to be called children of God. And then when you are born of the spirit, you are born of God, meaning you are born with the qualities, you are born with the properties, you are born with the righteousness, the ability that God has to resist Satan, the ability God has to resist sin, that's the one you are born with when you are born again. Praise God. You can take your seats. Thank you. Give them a hand. Um, can we reduce the walking? It distracts me. It doesn't distract your neighbor. Just pretend it's an exam and it's that first part of the exam where they say no walking out. Not so. Usually they give like what? An hour 30 or two and I'll be done by then. So please reduce the walking. Can we go on? Oh my. I promised I would take a short time. Let's go, this verse. And then Jesus says, do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. I have to skip a few verses because I will comment on every verse. Okay, let's keep going. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who's born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said, how can these things be? I mean, like, explain this for me. How can a person be born again? And Jesus gave him a penalty. He said, are you the teacher of Israel and you do not know these things? And he says, most assuredly I say to you, we speak what we know and testify and what we've seen. And you do not receive our witness. Uh -huh. uh, if I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how would you believe if I told you heavenly things? He's like, I'm even using earthly examples. I can use heavenly ones of things you've never heard of. And he says, no one has ascended to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, that is the son of man who is in heaven. Now, I want you to hear, this is the gospel according to Jesus. And as Moses, come on, you remember this one. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the son of man must be lifted up. In short, that sin problem it's dealt with. It's dealt with. Because something is going to happen to the son of man. It's building. How many of you remember we talked about what that meant, right? 
And then it goes on to say that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Oh boy. Then the ultimate message. Something that's so priceless, we should never devalue it. Jesus said something that changed the world as we know it. It changed the world forever. Let's quote it. It's so precious. He says, and this is his sermon. This is his message. And he says, for God so loved. And he says, look, God so loved Frederick. You can add your name there. For God so loved who? Come on, take it personal. God so loved who? That he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Just stay there. When I read that, you know the first thing that gets my attention. Here we were thinking, God is looking, and he's so angry. He's so angry that man keeps sinning. And maybe he has sent his son to punish them. No. Can you imagine, it's not God's hatred for sin that made him send Jesus. It's his love. Or when he was angry, he sent a flood. It's not his hatred for sin that made him send Jesus. It's his love for you. In short, God loves a human being more than he hates their sin. After all, mercy triumphs over judgment. So the first thing I see there is that this message is one that's inspired by God's love. You see a child in dirty diapers. The one who loves the child will want to change the diaper. Their love for the child is stronger than their hatred for that stuff. That amazing, amazing. And in his love, he gave. Why did he need to give his only son? Because the fact of the matter is somebody was going to have to pay that debt. Somebody was going to have to pay for it once and for all. And so the gospel according to Jesus is God giving and man receiving. The message according to Moses is man giving. And if they manage, they can become righteous. And then our righteousness will be like right. But according to Jesus, it's God giving and man receiving. And then it says that whoever, in short, the gospel according to Jesus is not segregative. It says that whoever believes in him should not perish. And notice something interesting. It doesn't say should not perish, but eventually go to heaven. That's, not, that's actually not what it says. It says, but have eternal life. When is eternal life? It starts now. You can live the life God lives now. When a person is saved, they've got the life of God. The word there in the Greek is zoe. You can live the life God lives now. You can experience the grace of God now. It's been given for us in this present age. 
And we're told something in the next verse. It says, for he did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, that he, but that the world through him might be saved. The message, the gospel according to Jesus is not, you did this and you did this and you did this so you're going to hell. The message according to Jesus is, I did this and I did this and I did this, so if you receive me, you don't have to pay that price for what you did. I'm the one, I'm the substitute, I'm the one who got the punishment. All I need is for you to believe me. All I need is for you to make me your master, your boss. Listen, if somebody owes you, it means if somebody's owning you. There was a case recently in Zambia, I don't know if you remember it. It should have been with one of the major banks, where there's another bank that bought it. And a case came up about money that that other bank was owing in the 1990s. Meaning, if you are buying the bank, you're not just buying its assets, you're buying its liabilities. So whatever it's owing, you are owing. So when Jesus, when you, when you accept him as your master, he's the only one who can pay the price for what we're owing. He's the only one. And that's the gospel according to Jesus. Let me just say something about it. Allow me to give a comment. A few things you should note. Very simple, but... Very simple, but these are things, four things about the gospel of Jesus that you should know. Number one, God took the first step. The gospel according to Jesus is God pursuing you. And he's been pursuing you for a while. It's God who took the first step. That's why we can't help but love him. How can we fail to love such a God? The gospel according to Jesus is not inspired by God's hatred for sin, but his love for us. That's why the Bible says, when we were yet sinners, he loved us. This counts out, I'll tell you about it. And with the gospel, according to Jesus, God gave. What did he give? The best gift he could give. He gave his son. In Romans 8, is it 32, we are told, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how shall he not along with him freely give us all things? There is nothing you can ask God for that's too big because he gave us the best that could be given. He gave us the biggest that could be given. That's why we make crazy prayers. There is nothing that will... Listen, if you have paid 5,000 as school fees and they ask you for two coins, ah, you can't compare it to paying 5,000 as school fees. If we came here to stand and say... That person you love, for us to save their life, we need to raise two kwacha. You'll be like, he is 10. Because, come on, he gave the best that could be given. And that's Jesus. How can he not along with him give you healing? How can he not along with him give you a job? Is it, you think it's too big for God to give you a job? How can he not along with him give you a scholarship? If he gave you Jesus, how can he not along with him give you a new kidney? It's not too big to ask for. Ooh. And the fourth aspect of this gospel, which is my favorite part, 
It says, whosoever. It says, whosoever. Let me show you a parable. Matthew 20, verse 1. The kingdom of heaven is like, a, is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. Now let's, let's give an example of today. Let's say here's a landowner and he comes and says, if you work for me for 24 hours straight, I'll give you one million US dollars. Who would be the first one to sign up? Who would be the first one here? Yeah, don't just work for me for one day and I'm, I'm giving you a million US dollars. You're set for life. You'll never work again. Some people would quit school. <laughs> because some people, the major reason they're going to school is not necessarily the education. That's why after the exam, can't remember a thing. We've got you covered. We've got an academic seminar. Praise <laughs> God. I think one of the lessons will be how to remember after an exam. And the Bible says he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, now look at this. First he approaches people at midnight and he tells them, go work for me for 24 hours. I will give you one million US dollars. Well, we're just trying to bring it in today's world, eh? Someone would ask, Apostle, why are you doing that? Jesus used to tell them stories in their language with stuff they could understand. And so he goes at 03 and finds others and says, ah, you also go work for me. I'll give you whatever is right. And they went. Let's keep going. He went about around 06, finds people doing nothing, sends them as well. Went around 9, found people doing nothing, sent them as well. Went around 11, found others. And the 11th hour should be... Okay, let's keep going. He found others standing... Back, back, back. Too fast. He found others standing idle and said to them, why have you been standing idle all day? Go work as well. They say to him, because no one has heard us, he said, you can also go into the vineyard. Whatever is right, you receive. Uh-huh. So when evening had come, I want you to know this. There are some people who had worked the entire 24 hours. Others had worked for... 15 hours, others had worked for five hours, the others worked for one hour. Uh -huh. And so he said to the steward, call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when they came, who I heard about the 11 hour, they each received a denarius. Uh -huh. But when they first came, they supposed that they would receive more. And they likewise each received a denarius. We're going somewhere. And when they had received it, they complained against the land owner. You know, sometimes as believers, we shock ourselves. We shock ourselves. So they complained against him, and then he said, is it not my money? Am I not free to do? Didn't we agree for a million? What is it to you whether I also agree with somebody else for a million? Sometimes we shock ourselves. Let me give you an example. You find, maybe you bought slave that 10 years old. Never lived the life anyone else lived. What have, what, have, what have you received? Righteousness from God. 
Somebody else, their testimony is There's nothing they didn't try. They did everything that they saw fit. They get saved. Guess what they receive? The same righteousness they receive. It's not segregated. Everyone receives the same measure of righteousness. How do you know what the measure of righteousness we receive? It's something that you can't add on because we receive the very righteousness of God. That's what the Bible tells us. 2 Corinthians 5. Verse 21, it says, God made him who had lost sin to become sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's not complicated. There is no way to make it sound. But I'll tell you, the gospel according to Jesus is very simple. It's, it's I supply before I demand. Why would God ask you to live a holy life if he cannot supply the righteousness that you need for holiness? And so the other time I asked myself a question, I asked, if this message is so simple and it's so powerful, why are many people not saved? It's very simple. It's very simple. Number one, there are people who just want to be worthy. They just want, verse 18, John 3, 18. It's very simple. They've just refused. Uh-huh. John 3, 18, give it to me. It says, he who believes in him is not condemned. Next verse. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. Some people just want to be worldly. They just refuse. They just want to be worldly. For different reasons. Let that not be you. The second reason is some feel they are too dirty to come before God. When Jesus performed a miracle, Peter looked and said, get away from me, I'm a sinful man. But don't you find it interesting that when Jesus met that woman who was caught in adultery, he didn't say, first go and change your ways and then come back. He said, okay, I, I forgive you. I do not condemn you. Now go sin no more. Jesus offers grace even before he tells you to go do something. Which brings me to the third reason. You know what the third reason is? And for me, it's the biggest reason. No one has just explained it to them nicely. Because the Bible says, how will they believe in him whom they've not heard? And how will they hear without somebody preaching to them? Children of God, let's not complicate matters. The gospel, according to Jesus, is very simple. It's God loving the world, but the world was too sinful to come to him. So what does he do? He comes to them and he sends his only son. And when that son is crucified, he pays the price for the world's sin. That now if they look at him, they are looking at, this will cover next week, but when you look at Jesus at the cross, you are looking at what was supposed to be you. You are looking at what was supposed to be you. But then when you look at him on the throne, you are looking at what you are now. For as he is in heaven, so are you. I don't know about you, but that's priceless. That's rich. 